Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. I'm taking over this podcast. It's a mutiny by the captain. That's I don't know how that that's works. That's not how that works. <laughs> I think I'm just walking the plank or something. Which I can't swim, so that would be very effective. That would be very effective. Very although I'd probably float better in the ocean. Well, but here's I mean, the question. I'm gonna die eventually. How long is your hair? Um, because if it's long enough to braid and then use to rope up a couple of sea turtles. Not that long anymore. High school me might have survived. Yeah, high school you would have definitely survived. Pulled a Jack Sparrow, but... Yeah, I can't. Yeah, now you... I can't anymore. It ain't gonna work. I'm gonna sue wherever cut my hair last. (laughs) I'm I'm suing the place that cut my hair because I was unable to save myself... And you did not warn me... From walking the plank. (laughs) That That was negligent of you. That was negligence indeed. I need to sign a waiver before you cut my hair. So it turns out there is no more dramatic follow-up on the uh, great fidget spinner escapade of 2017. That's probably good. It is probably a good thing. I appreciate that. I'll go back to forgetting what those are. <laughs> I keep seeing too many of them. They're just everywhere. Yeah, I don't go anywhere now, so I, I'm I'm just going to avoid everywhere. Yeah. I don't think that's a thing. So quick thing before uh, we dive into the topic of today's episode For those of you who don't know, I wanted to plug something that really does nothing for my business at all, but today I was adding a bunch of new songs to my study music playlist. Um, So for those of you who don't know, I have a huge study music playlist, and if you're looking for study music, I think it's collegeinfogeek.com slash playlist. Let me check just to make sure. Yeah. I did not know that that was a page. It is. And I currently have 178 songs on it. So there's a lot of good stuff. I just added some stuff from Ghibli movies. I just added some stuff from, uh, there was a really cool Undertale Piano Collections album that just got released. Um, some Professor Layton stuff. There's a lot of video game stuff on there, but it's not all video game stuff. There's some like movie soundtrack tracks, track tracks, you know. Track tracks. As that opposed to like other a, kinds of tracks. Some sort of snappy business name. Track tracks. Yeah. Welcome to track tracks. Um, I've got some just, you know, regular music albums that aren't part of any other kinds of media, but I've been cobbling this thing together for the past few years and I will continue to do so and people tend to like it. Um, I also discovered that on the comments of a lot of these videos, people like to misspell my name, which is really weird to me. I don't know why they're doing that. Like on purpose? Like it's a meme? I think, yeah, I've somehow become a meme Okay. But not on my own videos. <laughs> that is what it truly means to live, I think. <laughs> well, I think that's, you know how they say, uh, it, like when you get your first hate mail, you've made it. There's like three stages of, of made it. There's when you get your first hate mail or haters. And then when you get your first imitators. And then when you become a meme. How can I get hate mail if I don't give anybody anywhere to send me hate mail to? I'll just give it to them. Okay. Hey, everybody. Martin's address is. Yeah, yeah. You get. <laughs> and then, that. then you just throw like one of those bleep. Well, you're the editor. I could just give you everyone your well, address, and true, then you bleep then, it out. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, it's very true. You have the power here in this situation. I do. <laughs> you just instead of bleeping it out, you just put my address in there instead. Yeah. <laughs> take that, Tom. Yeah. It's not gonna take a lot of editing, to be honest. That's true. It'd be very easy. Uh but yeah. So there's a weird meme in the comments of a lot of these videos where they just say like Lamas Dank sent me there. Okay. I don't know why. That's cool. I find it kind of amusing though. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so collegeinfogeek.com slash playlist if you want some study music, you know, after this podcast ends, because clearly you wouldn't stop listening to this podcast to go listen to beautiful music. We can make beautiful music. We can. You mean like armpit farts? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I mean. That's true. Actually, I have been getting back into guitar lately, so the music is coming back. Um, it's another good example of, you know, how we've talked about the spacing effect where even if you go years without doing something, you get back into it and it's awful for a while. You're just depressed because you aren't as good as you used to be. But then like surprisingly quickly, the skill happens to come back yeah. and you're better than ever. Like and the I, connections are in your brain. You just need to wake them up. Yeah. Um, and there's a book called what's it called? It's called How We Learn by a guy named Benedict Carey. And in that book, he talks about this theory of learning called the forget to learn theory. And essentially, it proposes that there are two different types of memory strength. There's the storage strength, and then there's the retrieval strength. So when a memory is encoded the first time, there's a certain amount of storage strength based on a variety of different factors. But the key here is that storage strength does not go down over time. But the retrieval strength does. So it's really... Like forgetting isn't that the memory or the connections oh, in your brain have disappeared. So, it's so like if you put it in there good enough, it stays. Yeah, but you might not be able to find it. I like to think of it as like a library where like the books are not going to get eaten by bookworms or stolen or anything like that. But the catalog gets disorganized and starts missing records and stuff if you don't That's keep cool. it up over time. So you have to do some work to bring it back. But I had the same experience with skateboarding and now with guitar. Um... There's a little bit of time sucking, and with the guitar in particular, my finger calluses had gone away, so my fingers were like in horrible pain. Yeah, you kind of have to start days. With, from scratch uh, with those. I don't think yeah. that your brain's going to save your finger calluses for later. It's true, but I mean, when did I get the guitar? Like two weeks ago, or something like that. Maybe time is an illusion. Tom. My fingers are like rock hard now. Again, it didn't take that long, and I'm much, much better than I've ever been in just two weeks of kind of practicing and reviewing and stuff. So, and I will give a shout out to an app that is not sponsoring this podcast, but I just like, and you know what? Maybe we should get them as a sponsor soon. Um, I picked up an app called Musician. It's like oh, yeah, the word cool. you. Um, yeah, like like you instead of me. Musician. And it is sort of like, it's almost like Guitar Hero-esque, but for actually learning music. Like you, you have it on your iPhone or your iPad or even on the computer and there's like a scrolling guitar neck. Um, and you can do it for piano as well, but I haven't looked at the piano thing because I don't play piano. And uh, it's kind of like tablature. The numbers on each screen come by and you have to play them at the right time. And the mic is able to very accurately tell if you played it correctly. So I've been using that to learn a lot of things, relearn a lot of things, and teach myself, myself a bunch of stuff that I just never learned growing up, like alternate picking and how to read real music and all that kind of stuff. So I'm kind of filling in the gaps with that app and then just also practicing for fun in my own time. Yeah, that app looked really cool. It's pretty sweet. If you ever get back to piano or, well, you can play piano and guitar. 
You're like a multi-instrumentalist kind of guy. Yeah, I'm a multi a lot of things. I do a lot of things. It's true. Yeah. Anyway, um, today we're talking about freelancing, not playing instruments. Though I suppose you could be a freelance music teacher. You, you could do that. So, boom, segue that I didn't drive off a cliff. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I have a big outline for freelancing, and I think I've put stuff in a pretty logical order, but I know that you also have a bunch of stuff as well. Oh, it's, I'll jump around all my stuff, and I'll let it go with the flow. Okay. You know? That works it's for me. It's got to feel natural, Tom. It has to feel natural, yeah. And so I wanted to go through like the big questions. Why is freelancing a good option? What can you do if you want to freelance? Like, What are your options? How do you know you're ready to start? How do you know you're actually good enough to start charging people money? How do you get clients? Um, how to set prices and some other stuff as well. But I thought it would be good to sort of start with our own experiences and just kind of give people an idea of what we've done in the freelancing world. So I guess I'll start and then you can just sort of jump in. So I, I've had like two main freelancing experiences. One was very early and then one was right after high school. So the first one, I was 13 years old and when you're 13, you can't get a job yeah. because I think you have to be 14 in most states to do work. And then most companies are still not even going to hire you until you're 16. But I really wanted like a DDR pad and all sorts of stuff. And doing extra chores for my parents was just not enough. So my mom was like, if you want extra money, go make some flyers for mowing lawns. You can borrow our lawnmower and you can go mow people's lawns. So that's what I decided to do. And my mom was really smart because she was like, hey, you should think about how to differentiate yourself from anybody else who wants to mow lawns. And I think the way you should do it is by offering to clean up after their dogs first before you mow. Uh, and this was like definitely for like in the front of her mind because we had five dogs at the time. So anytime my brother or I had to mow the lawn, we would have to go out and make sure the yard was clean before doing it. Otherwise, the world would end or, you know, a turd just shoots out a lawnmower and hits the shed. Yeah. And you got to spray the shed off. And that's no fun. So I did that. I went and I created a flyer in Microsoft PowerPoint. And I printed them out. And I went around town and I just put flyers on doors. And I also went to, like, Panera Bread and a couple of other places that had bulletin boards. And I put my flyers up. And I eventually got a couple of customers. And I literally... Like, 13-year-old kid had to walk the lawnmower, like a push lawnmower, a mile and a half up the <laughs> block <laughs> to their houses. Isn't that enough work by itself? I know, right? And then I would also have, like, a bucket with the spade and a garbage bag, and I would clean up their yard, and I would mow it, and then I would get paid later. And that was, like, my first experience freelancing. But it was pretty cool because I was getting, like, 30 or 40 bucks, which was, like, infinite money to a 13-year-old at yeah. the time. And I wasn't you know, working for somebody else, I wasn't doing like an employee job, which is pretty cool. And then the second experience, which is the more traditional freelance experience, I would say, is freelance web design. Now, I started this right out of high school, uh, but the genesis of it started during high school. I was in trig class and there was this other kid in there who some for some reason mentioned that he had done or he knew how to de uh, design websites. And I was like, whoa, I also know how to design websites. What if we partnered up and made a business designing websites? You know, like that line from White and Nerdy. If your friends need some code, who do they call? 
I don't even know I that do song HTML for them well all. Enough. Even made a homepage for my dog, yo. I don't even know that <laughs> song well enough to know the lyrics. So we didn't get a client until after I had graduated, but we spent all of senior year working on like a website for our business. And I like accidentally stole a textbook from the entrepreneurship teacher at our school. <laughs> she Did like help you? Well, she special ordered like this. It was like a business on, or it was a, it was a book on how to start your own business. And she special ordered it for me and then let me take it home or took it. Uh, let me took it. What is the word? Let me take it home. Yeah, that is the word. Yep. She let me take it home and I accidentally never returned it. But so, <laughs> sorry, I mean, I Rika. I guess it was special order for you, I guess. <laughs> it kind of was. It's, uh, and actually, you know what? Now that I remember well, it, I did return it. It was just oh, like someday. a few years later after I was in college and I brought it back. Um, oops. But it was helpful. It taught me about how to, you know, set up my accounting system, why contracts were important, all that kind of stuff. And I read through that. And then we created a website for our business. And the first client that we got, I got by going to the community college, just rifling through their binder of job ads. And I found a company that needed a website. And I just called them up and I was like, hey, I just graduated from high school. I've got a freelance web design business and we haven't done any paid jobs yet, but I would love to work with you guys. And because you'd be my first client, we are willing to work for basically pennies. And they accepted. So that was kind of the genesis of Radiant Web Design, which is the name I called it. Yep. And then I ended up having, I don't know, maybe seven or eight more clients over college, which was a lot of good extra money. Yeah. That helps to pay off loans that ensured that I wasn't one of those people who was like, oh, I can't go get a burrito because I'm super poor. So it was pretty nice. Work for burritos. Hey, that's a good setup right there. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Anyway, what kind of freelancing have you done? So actually, I've only really had one freelancing experience, and that is when I built the College Info Geek redesign a few years ago when I was in college. Oh. So it was just one thing, and... I think the fact that I've only had one freelance client is actually still interesting because it's a good proof of the fact that you may be one good client away from a stable income or a future. So yeah. if you're like, oh, no, I have to get 100 clients and the, the success rate of like cold calling and finding people and doing all this stuff is so low, the success rate doesn't need to be high if you find the right client. Mm -hmm. One or two can be enough to pay your bills. Yeah, and I think that's a very good point. Um, and for any of you who have not seen my latest YouTube video, I talked about how to set up a lifestyle where you can travel and work at the same time. And depending on the value of your skill, you could potentially fund travel and like all of your expenses with just one client. Yeah. And I mean, that's how it worked for you. Yeah, because I was, <clears throat> I was doing my college job, but I was like, I really want to work on web design right now. Mm -hmm. I knew you wanted to redesign the site, and I was like, I could do that, but my time is totally taken up with this with this um, desktop support job and my classes and stuff. But I suppose if I you could pay me enough to build this website, then I would be willing to quit that job for now yeah, so that we could work that out. And I completely swapped out my semester student job for a freelance workable from any building I want on campus job. Isn't that how we figured out the pricing as well? Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, think I just we, I think you literally it was just here's what I'm going to make for the next semester. Pay me that 
and I will quit that job and do this one, which will give me experience that I want. Yep. Because I don't, I didn't want to do desktop support when I graduated, even yeah. if I was good at it. I, I was more interested in web development. So I just wanted a clean swap that gave me experience I wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what got us started with you doing the redesign. I do remember that at the time, the version three of College Info Geek, which is like old now, because we've had this version of the website for like four years at this point, um, it wasn't responsive. Yeah. And I think that was like the main thing I really wanted to fix, but that was a problem because I didn't know how to code a responsive website. Yeah, and I had just done that on my blog at the time. I think that's what it was. I think it was because you did Polyglot and you had made it responsive, and I was like, I want that, but I don't know how to make it. Yeah, and see, I didn't even really know how to build that either until I got the framework. I just deconstructed it and figured out how it was working. Mm -hmm. But So I proved the skills. You saw that I had them, and then I was just casually like, I mean, I could do it. Yeah, and the cool thing is if you want to freelance, your clients don't have to be people who can't do whatever you're offering. They just need to be people who could do something else and let you do it and profit from that. And that's why I hired Martin because I knew, like I had built every single iteration of College Info Geek up to that point. I'd done freelance web design myself. I knew PHP, I knew MySQL, I knew all the stuff. But I realized if I spend dozens of hours teaching myself responsive web design and building this new version of College Info Geek, that's dozens of hours that I'm not using to record podcasts or to write new stuff or to do guest posting for other people or to meet new people, all the stuff that I was really good at already. So I realized, okay, there's money in the bank. There's money in the war chest. I'll use that resource to pay somebody else to do that. And then I will use another resource time to do something else that's more profitable for me to do. Yeah, and it made more sense because I was specializing in that one skill. Mm-hmm. Because you you could have done it with time, but specializing in that is not how you make any money. It's not like yeah. the website itself is just a host to better things that you create. And as a business owner, I've learned a couple of important lessons from that first experience hiring you. Because I think you were the first freelancer that I hired to ever do anything for me. Um, I, I learned that when you're a business owner, and I think this also applies to people's personal lives as well. You have to view both time and money as resources. And a lot of times when you choose to use one, you will have a savings or a gain in the other. So when you don't have a lot of money, you can choose to invest a lot of time to save money. And this is great when you're starting out, both as a freelancer or anything else. Yeah. Like if you, you know, you want to start a business or you want to start freelancing or whatever it is but you don't have money to hire people or to buy really expensive tools, well, then you'll just have to spend more time using free stuff that maybe not, isn't as efficient or isn't as good, but over time, you can get it done. A great example. Maybe Photoshop is a better tool overall than GIMP, but GIMP is free, and Photoshop is, what, 10 bucks a month if you just get Photoshop? Yeah. So if you needed to do graphic design for somebody or you are... Yeah, I don't, I don't know, you're in a band and you need to make a logo for your band. Maybe it'll take you more time to do it in GIMP, but you'll save money. But when you get into a position where you have money and you should be investing your time in certain areas, it actually makes more sense to spend some money to maybe hire somebody else or to buy a tool that is more effective and that will save you time 
because if you were to invest that time now, you would lose money. You would lose out on potential money, I should yeah. say. So that's just a kind of a side lesson for business. And if you ever get into freelancing, um, you know, seriously, you're going to think about that. And I've actually know people who they are freelancers, but they sometimes realize that like certain parts of the jobs they're doing for clients, they need to freelance or contract out to other freelancers actually. So say I had gone like super hardcore with, uh, actually, you know what? I have experienced this. Never mind. I can tell a story here because when I was a freelance web designer, I wasn't very good at databases. Didn't know PHP that well, didn't know MySQL. I was really good at HTML, which is basically like the bones of the web page, and CSS, which is like the pretty window dressing that defines the presentation, what everything looks like. But if somebody wanted a login area where a customer could put in a username and password and go to like a secret page that is not accessible publicly, I didn't know how to make that. Or I knew I could learn, but it would take too long and the, the client wanted it done you know, sooner than I could do that on my own. So I had this friend, Adam, who was still a high school student when I was in college, but he was like a whiz at databases and stuff. Didn't know like a lick of design, but was super good at PHP and MySQL. So I, as a freelancer, contracted work out to him as another freelancer. He wasn't really a partner in my business. He was just another yeah, just guy. Just doing the one little task. Yeah. So client pays me a chunk of money and then I take a chunk of that money and pay it to him. And he's helped me get it done. Yeah. And, and this is important to pay to pay attention to, I think, because when you start from a position mm -hmm. where you don't have a lot of money, it can be really easy to build that habit where your gut instinct is to never spend money and to always do things the cheap, long way. Yeah. But at some point, it will be profitable to stop thinking like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, and it's really hard to get out of that mindset. Yeah. Like yeah, it, if it, you it talk really to is. me, if you talk to me like when I was in college still doing CIG – but earlier on, I would have said DIY everything. And I actually remember, I think you and I sat around like making fun of business owners who would publicly say, I don't know how my website works. I don't know how the code works or anything. And we'd be like, what kind of business owner doesn't know how they're, how to, you know, repair their database in their WordPress yeah, website. A specialized one, it turns out. Because <laughs> we, you know, we had this DIY ethos this diy mindset where that's what you do have everything. to do in the beginning you, just, it, yeah. you get so used to it that you forget at some point oh wait i can i can afford to save time and mm -hmm. since time it's it's very it, there's a hard limit on time you know but you yeah. can make you can learn <laughs> to make more money but it's going to be a little harder to change your time mm -hmm. and now you know shoes on the other foot i have no idea how a lot of the code behind cig works i know that you have multiple versions in different staging areas and you're using Git to make sure that if we need to make a change, we're not doing it on the live site. Uh, we can test it on like a dev site and then make sure it's all perfect and there's no errors before we push it. And I know that I can't go make changes to live because of that. Yep. But I don't know how it works. Yep. You're grounded. No, no idea. And that's okay because I have people that I trust who do know how to do it and they do it better than I do. <laughs> so, but the, you know, slight tangent here. This is why I always say to evaluate any piece of advice you get critically and see how it works for you. Don't just take advice at face value because here's a great example of where one piece of advice didn't work for me at one point, but works for me now. It depends on the stage you're at. In the beginning, the whole specialize, delegate, only do what you're good at 
doesn't make sense because you don't have the resources to specialize and delegate. But once you get to a certain point, that whole DIY ethos, do everything yourself, learn every little piece of your business, that's going to slow you down and your competition will pass you up or you'll lose opportunities. So you always have to ask yourself, at what stage in my journey am I at? And would this piece of advice that worked for this person work for me now? Or maybe would it work for me later? Or would it never work for me at all because I have different values than that person? It's a good thing to think about when you're listening to a podcast like this. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess another good example of how this works if you're not hiring people is just that when I when I went to work on a college info geek redesign, I did invest quite a bit in a new laptop and a bunch of software hmm. that was going to help me with things. So it's not it's not just whether or not to hire out and specialize. Yeah, exactly. And also always be looking for ways that you can improve the efficiency of your business, especially ways that don't cost you money. Because I don't want you to like get in this mindset to where like you, you get set in your ways and you're like, I don't have enough money to change things right now because there's probably something you could change right now for free that would make things better. Like you and I used Trello for the whole project of the redesign and that ended up making things just 10 times more efficient. Yeah. Because everything was broken down into cards. I could see easily what's done, what's not done. I could go and add comments. It's like a beautiful project management app. And hey, it's free. So let's start going through the list here. Um, Number one, why freelance? Now, I think we've kind of touched on a few points here. You can make extra money. You're working on your own schedule. You brought up a great point, which is that even if you're not looking to freelance on a long-term basis, the freelancing route can actually kind of be like a roundabout way into a job. Yeah, well, the College Info Geek redesign is the reason I was qualified for the first job I got after graduating. Mm-hmm. It, Which isn't with me. It was with another company. Yeah, it was with another company doing web development, and I had them look at what I did. Like, they looked at the site, and they they believed I had the skills, and I didn't have them before. I learned a lot building College Info Geek. Yeah, and I actually have a good question for you. Because um, you said, I think I remember you saying that they usually weren't keen on hiring people right out of college. No. So I actually worked at the Campus Web Development Center, but I never worked on a project as complex as College Info Geek. So, I mean, would you say that working on this project freelance might have actually given you the edge over somebody who had even worked as an employee in web development on campus? Well, I would say that, one, if it's just between those two people and that's the only difference, the freelance project is actually a little little more interesting, at least at face value, because you know why somebody goes to their hourly job. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody does. But since freelancing isn't what everybody does, it's a little more interesting. And College Info Geek was a huge project. And if you were a student worker, there's a decent chance they would have only let you touch little parts of it and they wouldn't have trusted you Mm. to build the complex parts. That is true, yeah. That's part of the thing about internships as well. This is another benefit of freelancing is that if you've got an internship or a student job, it may not always be quite as educational or intense as it could be because they don't want you to mess things up. And sometimes you just mm-hmm. end up doing grunt work in, in, in internships. But by contrast, if you're doing freelance work, you are most likely to be doing exactly the work that you're trying to do. They're yeah. not no, <laughs> Nobody pays you to come take photos at their wedding. And then when you get there, they're like, actually, could you just help set the plates? And then they pay you the same amount. They won't do that. When you're yeah. hired for freelance work, you're doing the work. Mm-hmm. You're being paid for a specific service. So the that experience they you get don't want to do is more or less certain. Mm-hmm. They know that you've worked on something hard. Yeah. Plus, I mean, during the interview, you've got a story about how you found the client, why you did that work. 
Yeah. And I mean, in the case of College Info Geek, you had kind of a big, you know, pretty public facing project that you could show off. Yeah. And it shows the initiative to self-regulate your own time and work outside mm-hmm. of a outside of a cubicle or something where a boss is staring down your neck. Yeah. And um, I do want to note this isn't to say that on campus jobs are not a good idea. No, I had like six or of that, those. Yeah, they're very good. Or that freelancing is even superior. But I do I do think there are some advantages to freelancing, um, especially that fact that you do get to work on the raw work. You're not really insulated for much. And I do have to say that the web development department on my campus um, didn't do a whole lot of insulating. There were some people there who were really good at what they did, and they ended up, you know, some of them actually ended up working full-time for the department after they graduated. Cool. But in my case, like, the work I did there definitely gave me some experience, but there was nothing I did there that even held a candle to what you did on the CIG redesign. Yeah. Like so it was it, a huge like, project. Depends a lot on the what business or department you're in, whether or not they have people that can afford to trust you or not trust you to mm-hmm. do something difficult. And I'll also say, like during the projects that I did for clients as a freelancer, the motivation and drive to push myself to learn the stuff I needed for that client was so much higher. Because I was like, I mean, obviously there's motivation to learn what I need to learn at the employee job. Yeah. Because I wanted to be a good employee. But when you're a business, when you've spent time making a logo for yourself and making a website for yourself and you've gone out and found that client on your own, there's just like this insane hunger and drive to make sure that you make that person happy, at least in my experience. Because it's like, you know, I, I live and die by what I do here. Yeah, it's a, it's a very sink or swim kind of thing. It's your project. Mm-hmm. And, and where maybe if you're working at, say, desktop support or something, because that's what I have experience when, with for student jobs. But if you're working at desktop support or something and there's a hard problem, maybe if you don't know it, you can just kind of ignore it for a little while and see if the more experienced guy is going to solve it for you. Yeah. But with freelance work, you can't. There's yep. no, there's no one. If you just don't do it, it won't happen, and they will be very mad. I mean, you you can obviously hire out if you need to, like we talked about. Yeah, but you but can't just again, sit it's around on idly you. and let yeah. it. It's not just going to solve itself. You solve it either through contracting or through learning it. Mm-hmm. And I just I love that mode of working. I think that's why I love entrepreneurship so much, because I know it's on me. Even if somebody else is doing it, it's on me to make sure they're doing it. Yeah. And it's just very, you feel a lot of autonomy in it. And I really like that. The other thing I'll mention here is you can scale your earnings up. Um, I want to say faster, but I have this feeling that the word faster depends on the industry you're in potentially. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll modulate to that. You scale your earnings independently of any boss's desire. Like, if you're working at a company, they might be like, oh, well, you get a 2% raise every six months as long as you're in good standing, and that's our policy. Whereas when you're a freelancer, if you're good and you start building up a portfolio and a network of contacts, you can start charging more every single time you get a new contact or get a new client. So in my case, the very first website design I ever did, that company we called from the community college job book, we charged $350. And that was for dozens of hours of work, that multiple is... trips. We drove to their corporate office. We sat in the boardroom with the CEO of the company. You sat there with meetings? Yeah, we had meetings, like multiple meetings with the CEO. He would sit there. He would go over 
every page of the website, he would like, he'd take his glasses <laughs> off. He'd be like, all right, let me read this paragraph here. And he'd read every single paragraph of copy that we typed. This is another thing. Like we were web designers, but they were like, oh yeah, just write the copy for us too. Which at the time I yeah, didn't that's realize a job. that's a different thing and it should have been on them. But they were like, yeah, just, you know, brand our entire corporate image for us basically we we made a logo <laughs> for, for them for 350 they got a hell of a deal we made them a logo we made them a full website and we we typed everything like they gave us brief bullet points but i actually like made up a lot of the stuff for that company and i look back on it now i'm like oh my god what have i done <laughs> but you know it's it's the first project yeah. you're always going to have that feeling about your previous work but yeah he would he would go over line by line every word of copy and he'd be like, let's change the word excited to very excited or I don't know what a synonym for excited is right now, but it, it was a very, very long project and we got 350 bucks. Yeah. And I just constantly upped my price every single time I get a new client. Okay, this time it's 500. This time it's 700. And the great thing about pricing is as long as you're communicating your value, you're building a good rapport with the client up front and you know, you're getting them excited about what you can do with them. The first time you name a price, it's not like a make or break thing. They're not just going to be like, Oh, that's what you charge. Well, screw you. And they'll walk away. That doesn't happen. They might say, well, could you do, you know, 400 instead of 500 and you have a negotiation and either you can take the 400 or you can say, well, I charge 500 because this, this, and this, here's the reasons, here's the value, and here's why it's worth 500. Here's why you're going to make more than $500 from this and why it's a bargain at this price. You know, there's a lot you can do with negotiation, which we can talk about later, but that's the great thing about the pricing is it can scale up. And with the final web design client that I had, I think I remember the one before her, I charged a thousand dollars. And then, you know, several months went by before I ended up meeting her. And by that time, I was like, I don't think I want to do freelance web dev anymore. I think I want to go all in on College Info Geek. I think I'm done. And then she reached out and asked me if I could work on it. And I was like, you know what? Because I don't want to do this, I'm in a position where I can just name a price that seems a lot higher than I feel like I could charge. But I'm just going to name it because if she says no, it's that's fine. Because I don't really... Like yeah. I have something else I want to do. So I was like $2,500 and they were like, okay, nice. And I was like, Whoa, yeah, what? That's, see, that, that, that's <laughs> way better. I was like, Oh my God, $2,500. And it ended up being the same amount of work as that first project or maybe less. Cause I didn't have to drive to her house and have her go over every line of the website. And she provided copy. It was, I just had to design it and code it. Um, and you know, it's funny. Like, after I did that, I went and looked at pricing for web design from other companies. And like, even that's low. Yeah. <laughs> even that is a, a very low, which is why I remember I ended up, I paid you what it would have, what you would have made that semester at that job. But yeah. I think I ended up paying you like double that over the course of yeah, the project. La- later on. Yeah. Cause I was like, this is worth more than what I'm paying you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's worth way more. So, but like you, you upped that a lot. So definitely yeah. you, you have way more input into mm-hmm. when and how much of a raise you might get. Whereas even yeah. if you did much more work at a stable job, you can get promotions, you can get raises, but you have to justify them to another layer of person in between you and the client you're working for. Exactly. 
This week's episode of our show is supported in part by FreshBooks. FreshBooks specializes in online accounting and invoicing solutions, so if this episode has inspired you to take another look at freelancing, they're perfectly positioned to make your life easier. And really, freelancing is the reason you're hearing my voice right now. When I took on the College InfoGee redesign as a freelance project, not only did it help me build the skills I used to get my first job after graduating, it helped build the professional relationship that allows me to do what I do for a living today. But it wasn't as simple as just building a website. I had to track the time I worked, I had to keep track of business expenses like web development books and software, and I had to learn how to send a professional invoice so I could get paid and Tom could have a record for his own accounting. Now, FreshBooks recently released a brand new version of their cloud accounting software, and guess how many of the things I just listed it can do? If you said, I doubt he would have asked that if the answer wasn't all of them, you are a sage. FreshBooks has been rebuilt from scratch to ease the pains of the modern entrepreneur, which means you can focus less on paperwork and more on the skill you're being paid for. More specifically, FreshBooks lets you keep track of the time you spend working on your projects, it lets you track your business expenses so you don't need to sort through a ridiculous pile of receipts at tax time, it lets you create and send professional invoices in less than 30 seconds, it shows you when a client has seen your invoice, and it lets clients pay you online which means you can get paid up to four days faster and you won't go crazy staring at your mailbox. So if any of this sounds good to you, enterprising and business-savvy listener, you can get an unrestricted 30-day trial of FreshBooks at freshbooks.com CIG. And don't forget to write College Info Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section. And I mean, you always have negotiating power, even in a job, that you can go to negotiate a salary. And I think we even have an episode about salary negotiation on the podcast. Uh, it's an old episode, so I need to go find it real quick. Episode 38, Salary Negotiation and Student Loan Payoff Tactics with my friend Stephanie, who lives in Boulder now. Um, so that's a good episode. I think we also have a salary negotiation episode on uh, Listen Money Matters and possibly another one on the College Info. Yep, yes we do. Episode 52, In-Depth Salary Negotiation Tactics. So if you're in a job, we have those. But when you're working for yourself, you have infinitely more tools at your disposal for negotiating the price because you have your portfolio, you have negotiation tactics, you have all this stuff. Whereas when you're in a company, a lot of times you're bumping up against policy and the budget and all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and you don't get to pick your clients. As a freelancer, if a client can't afford you, you might have to say, okay, we can't work together. And then you'll find another client who can. So let's get into the next section here. Uh, what exactly can you do as a freelancer? We've been talking about web development because that's what both of us have done. And of course I mowed lawns and picked up dog poop, but there's a ton more you can do. And at this part of the podcast, I just wanna let you guys know, we have uh, an article that Ransom wrote actually. It's called The Ultimate Guide to Freelancing in College. And I think it's a very good companion to this episode. So we will have that linked up in the show notes. And he has an extensive list of the stuff that you can do. I'm just gonna give a few examples here. So you do have your computer skills, including web development programming. There's things like graphic design um, and also computer repair, actually. Oh yeah. You know, if there's somebody in your town, like if you're in a town where the only option is Geek Squad, then maybe there's a spot for you in the market to be able to, I don't know, go to somebody's house if they need repair and they can't really go to Best Buy or you could charge less or you could be friendlier or better than they are. I don't know. Um, the only thing I'll say about this is if you're going to repair somebody's computer, 
make backups. <laughs> oh yeah, you and be, possibly you be get good. don't mess it up. Possibly get business insurance if you're going to do something with somebody's computer. I remember uh, I was a freelance web designer, but I found an ad on Craigslist. This lady needed a, a streaming webcam setup in her her dog daycare, and she wanted to be able to let customers go on her website and look at their dogs on a streaming video thing while they were at work. So I got hired not only to implement the video thing in the website, which ended up being the easiest part, literally just a Ustream embedded video feed on the webpage, super easy. But the whole rest of the project was not web design at all. It was me like crawling around the attic of their building, <laughs> wiring up webcams and learning way more than I ever needed to about USB cord length limits and data throughput limits and all kinds of stuff. And I just ended up doing a ton of stuff for them, um, including transferring them over to a new computer where I learned that the one copy of their QuickBooks file where they did all the accounting and kept all the information about all the business's finances mm -hmm. was on this old computer that when I opened it up was just filled to the brim with dog hair. That is a horrible place to maintain <laughs> your business accounting. Yeah, and I remember she said like, she was like, my husband had real doubts about working with you because you're just some dude from Craigslist from our perspective. And he was like, I don't know about this guy. And I was like, yeah, I understand your husband's reservations. And this is why we're going to back everything you have up to an external hard drive. And then we're going to do a new computer thing because I don't want to be the person who accidentally deletes your QuickBooks file yeah. and ruins your business. <laughs> you know, and now I think like if you're doing, if you're a business owner, if you're a person but definitely if you're a business owner, you should have some sort of like cloud backup thing, whether it's Dropbox or Google Drive or I use Backblaze. Um, yeah, don't don't be having just one computer with your stuff on it. Terrible idea. Um, but yeah, I ended up just doing a lot of very different stuff for them. So you could, I guess, wire up stuff at a dog daycare. Uh, if you're into photography or videography, you could do that, or you could do editing of either one. In fact, I just hired a couple of guys to help me with video editing. So that's a good gig with more and more YouTubers out there and with more and more companies realizing that video is an important part of their business and marketing strategy, the need for video editing is going to go up drastically. Uh, there's freelance writing, and we have another podcast episode with my friend Asia Frost. I need to find the episode number for that one. That is... It's 97. Oh wow, it was that was way longer ago than I thought. Dang. Did you just know it? Or did you like have it queued up because you knew I'd say it? Oh, I, I have a I had a list of that. I, it's one of the notes. Oh, cool. Yeah. So Asia is a fantastically successful freelance writer who started in college. And so she's a very good example of somebody who's done that. You could also do like ghostwriting where you don't really get a by a byline, but you get paid to write for somebody else and they get to put their name on it. Not exactly something that I would want to do because I like getting credit for my work, but it's money. Um, and then you can do editing. You know, if somebody is a good writer, but they need an editor, boom, you can do that. My friend James Ranson does that. You could do event planning. You could do uh, virtual assistant stuff. My friend Kayla does virtual assistant stuff for me. Every time I upload the podcast to our YouTube channel, she goes in, sets the title, makes all the end card stuff, sets the tags. All that stuff is taken care of for me. I pay her. It's awesome. Um, you could even be like a virtual trainer or coach, 
I've got a oh, friend yeah. named Josiah and he just like has a bunch of clients all over the world and he tells them what to eat and how to work out and helps them with their fitness goals. Yeah. I mean, that's what my, uh, obviously not the same exact work, but my Spanish teacher on italki exclusively does that. Oh yeah. I as forgot. a full-time job. You can be a tutor. Yeah. Freelance language tutor. And you could do that on italki or through Skype, even if you had like a web presence or something. Um, and I think are there other sites where you can do like language tutoring? Oh yeah. Yeah, there are. Do you know of any at the top of your head? Um, cause I remember I haven't been to them in a while, so I probably want to double check. Okay. I had one that I was using for Japan, but I don't think that it allowed for being a paid teacher. I think it was just a community where you could like edit people's Japanese writing and then they do it for you as well. Oh yeah. But italki is a good one if you want to get paid and you're fluent in a certain language. Uh, and then, of course, there's your manual stuff. There's lawn mowing. There's shoveling driveways, all that kind of stuff. I remember when we were in the old house in uh, Des Moines, I found a guy at Craigslist, and he came and mowed the lawn every other week. I paid him because, again, I could have done it, but my time is better used on my business. So money well spent. He got money for college. It was a good setup. And then, I mean, you could you could even help people with, like, organization. There are people out there who want help organizing their stuff. So whatever you have a skill in, you could potentially use that. As long as it can provide value to other people, you could turn that into a freelance business. So how do you know you're ready to start? This is a big question because a lot of people have like this imposter syndrome. Like I'm not a professional web designer. Why would anybody pay me? How do I know that I'm actually good enough? There's probably somebody out there who's a zillion times better. I can't even start now. Well, there certainly is somebody that out there who's a zillion times better, but that's not the point. Yeah, and that person is charging way more than certain yeah. clients can uh, afford. Yeah, and they're probably not ironically in your neighborhood competing directly with you. Yeah, exactly. So I will tell you guys, um, the way that I started charging people was I just, again, I cold called that company that had the ad and I said, hey, I've never done this for money before, but I'll do this for far less money than anybody else will charge you. I'll work with you. I'll give you as many revisions as you want. And they were willing to work with me. So often it just comes down to asking somebody. And I do remember this. My hands were shaking when I picked the phone up and called the number. Because I was so scared they were going to be like, you've never done this before? You're just a high school student? <laughs> Why would you even dare to call us? But they didn't. They were like, ooh, here's an, exper- here's an, here's an opportunity to get our website built for far less than we wanted to pay. Yeah. And <laughs> this kid will get some experience. Um, so you can always ask, you can always offer to do a free or discounted, uh, job or a few sometimes, and you can also do work for yourself. In my case, I built a website as part of a, uh, competition for a school club. It was like top 10 reasons to go to Dallas. And we just, we coded everything on that and did it in a competition. And then also the radiant web design website went through two redesigns. The first design was absolutely horrible. And I think we can actually link to it. Oh, do you still have it? I I think I have it up. It's really bad. It is really bad. And uh, I can't really blame my my co-founder because I made the whole thing. And I guess I just had this this idea in my head that more colors equals better at the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's simple math, Tom. It is more equals better. Yeah. I remember putting it on a web design critique forum. And I was so excited. I was like, I'm, I'm this, I'm so proud of this website. I really want to see what people think. 
And I came back the next day and people literally said, this is garbage. They were like, this is the worst looking thing. And you know what? They were right. The menu was in Comic Sans, like pink Comic Sans. And they probably thought you were joking. (laughs) They probably did, but I was super proud of it. But yeah, the menu was in pink Comic Sans and the menu items would get bigger when you moused over them, which didn't really work very well because on certain pages, like the current item was bigger, I think, and then you you literally couldn't you, click you other menu items. Like make it kind of like the Mac toolbar or what? Yeah, pretty much okay. like that. I don't know what I think. I just I don't did it because it I knew smooth, probably I knew how to code it. I was like, ooh, I know what the hover property in CSS is. I'm gonna use it on everything. Yeah, <laughs> and then uh, I think literally in two days after I got over the horrible shame and depression from the uh, commenters' feedback. I completely redesigned it to look very, very, very different. And I remember I put it back in that same thread and people were like, that's much better, like way better. So we can link to both versions. Um, I'll forewarn you, the bad version has a picture of me in a fedora. Oh no. <laughs> Anna hates it. It's really funny though. Nice. I'm not, I'm not gonna take it down. I think it's good to leave up like examples well, of your old it's, crappy it's work. Important. It's important to note that don't have any imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because personal projects and your first stuff is probably going to be horrible. I, I don't want to look at anything that I did first of oh, yeah. any type of thing that I ever do now. And you're ready if you can do something people are willing to pay for mm-hmm. because there's not a magic bar that says ready. Yeah. Because somebody will pay you less for worse work and pay somebody more for better work. If that's the quality they're willing to pay for, then you're ready. Done. I suppose if, if you don't feel like you're ready, do it, but just make sure to be very, very accommodating and communicate what you can do, set expectations, and be willing to go the extra mile to make your client happy. It's going to push you to learn more, and you're going to get a great first experience and a testimonial out of that. Yeah. And then once you get a lot of work under your belt, then you can afford to be a little bit more choosy, and maybe you can even be like that guy who designed the um, the next logo for Steve Jobs, who's like this famous graphic designer who's like 75 years old, and he said, it's $25,000. I'm going to make the logo that I want to make and you'll pay me regardless of whether or not you use it. And Steve Jobs was like, okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah. But uh, that guy had a lot of experience. So if you have never made a logo before, don't do that. You should probably do the opposite. I'll make you 10 different logo designs and whatever you want, I'll change it. You know, and as you get more experience and start to build some authority, then you can afford to say, I'm the designer. I know what's good for you. So give me a general overview of what you want, and I will make something look great. Yeah, and like I was saying, like College Info Geek's the only freelance website I built. But before that, I had built like five or six websites because Mm -hmm. of personal projects. So you don't have to charge for everything if you're really, really, really not ready. Just learn how to do it. Maybe volunteer. Yeah. Um, So if you have imposter syndrome, I want you to keep this in mind. Thomas Frank made a terrible-looking website with horrible colors and a logo designed in PowerPoint with a picture of a f- him in a fedora on it and a Comic Sans menu and still got clients. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should be all the vindication you need for starting now because you can't get much worse than that. <laughs> um, so we're going to have to go through the rest of my outline in rapid fire fashion because we are almost getting up to the hour mark. Mm-hmm. I always do this to myself. Yep. So let's just get through these C sections. I want to get this information out here. Uh, number one, how do you get clients? So first and foremost, your friends and family, 
they're closest, they trust you, they know you, and they may have things you need. Yeah. Or like a local business or nonprofit or a church or something. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. Somebody that knows you, your physical area is where you have an advantage at first. Yep. I'll tell you. So that first client was me cold calling from uh, a job ad, which I would say it's not necessarily a cold call because they had put an ad out there. Um, You can definitely cold call or cold email. I remember I was watching an episode of the Gary V, like the Ask Gary V show, and the dude from Atlanta called in. He's like, yo, Gary, I'm a freelance web designer in Atlanta, but I can't find clients. What do I do? And Gary's like, you're going to go on Instagram for six hours a day, and you're going to search for businesses in Atlanta, and everyone that doesn't have a baller website, you're going to email them or DM them or call them and tell them that you're a web designer and you would love to work with them. Yeah. Six hours a day. Because Gary's like the most hustle guy ever. And you know what? That is definitely a way to do it. The Ultimate Guide to Freelancing in College article on our site has some examples of cold emails that you could use. I often think that calling is better because they can't delete your call. Like, you know, 90% of the time they're still going to say no, but they have to say no. They can't just be like, eh, this is just junk. I'll delete it, not even respond. Yeah. So scarier, but... You're at least putting you're you're, make, you're putting them in a position where they have to say something, yeah, which and gives you a better chance. Outside of just networking and all that stuff, what the people you know and the places where you have an advantage, this is kind of what you have to deal with is a really low success rate where yeah. you just roll the dice a whole lot until mm-hmm. eventually you've succeeded a few times and it becomes significantly easier to get successive clients. Yeah, but in addition to emailing and calling, you could also maybe send something physical. Mm-hmm. So Jessica Hish, a uh, pretty cool letterer and uh, designer and illustrator, who I saw speak at a sold-out venue at Omaha, just she's cool now, at one point before this made a little a little promo that she wanted to send out to art directors. Mm-hmm. And it was based around uh, the 12 days of Christmas because it was around, around Christmas time. And she sent it to 250 art directors and some artists and designers that she really respected. One of them responded, but that one offered her a job in New York in two weeks and changed her life forever. Oh, wow. And inspired her to learn her, like, she got really into lettering after that. And, like, everything snowballed from there. But that was 249 rejections and one life-changing yes. That's awesome. And, I mean, that definitely lends some credence to the whole Gary V. like, six hours a day on Instagram until you find clients. You do not know which client is going to be the one that changes your life. You just have to roll the dice a lot. There are 7 billion people or whatever. Yeah. And I guess, like, we we should state that more concretely. Like, when you get into freelancing, at the start, finding clients is freaking hard. Yeah. Like, it is not a cakewalk in any sense of the word. You could be the greatest designer, photographer... Uh, chair builder. I don't know what else to think of. You're the best chair builder. You're Ron Swanson. You got the best chairs. <laughs> but even if your website's the greatest thing ever, look at how many websites there are. People aren't going to magically find you if you do not already have a following of some sort. Yeah. You you have to work for it. Even if you're the best designer in the world right now, if you do not have a following, I don't know your name right now. Mm-hmm. I can't hire you for anything. I thought of this uh, earlier today. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out recently, right? So all the songs in Awesome Mix Volume 2 and all the songs in Awesome Mix Volume 1 for the first movie have a huge surge in popularity. Yeah. So everyone's listening to Fleetwood Mac right now. Uh, Now, Fleetwood Mac, depending on your taste, makes really good music. But 
if nobody knows about them, they're not going to find them. Yeah, because so you've like, got so many options you already know about. Yeah. What are you doing out there searching through stuff you don't need when you could find that designer you wanted? Well, I know somebody right here who's not as good, but I know them. Mm-hmm. So, done. Yep, and you know what? I'm working with a couple of video editors right now, but I met them at a conference just yeah. hanging out did, as friends. Did you go through a list of a thousand video editors? No, I didn't. And you know what? I'm like, if it works out with them, I'm going to be super stoked because I didn't have to go through a thousand video editors. I made, I met them yeah. as friends through networking. So, I mean, really the, the best thing that's going to work is just go out and build as many relationships as you possibly can. First, it's going to be friends and family because they know you. And I can tell you from personal experience, other than that cold call, most of my web design clients were at first friends and family. Uh, or people I knew. I had my boss, uh, who was my, my detasseling boss, the guy who was my supervisor as I was walking through the cornfields as a 14-year-old picking the tops off corn um, corn plants. He hired me to build a website for his detasseling business so he could get more workers every summer. And my marketing teacher in high school, he hired me to wake up, make a website for like this condo he was renting out in Arizona. And... Um, then my uncle hired me to make a website for his church. And the last two clients, they were not friends and family, but it again came through networking. I took a web design class in, in uh, college and the class ended up being so easy because I already knew everything that I ended up basically being like unofficial tech support for all the other students. Like oh, yeah. I made my website in like five minutes and then I spent the rest of the time just helping other students out with theirs. So there was this girl, Courtney, I helped her out a bunch with her website and then she mentioned me to her uncle and her uncle ran like a tree farm somewhere in Iowa. So he got, he got in touch with me and he's like, Hey, my niece said that you were good at websites. Can you code me a customer login area and then put my price sheet on the website? I'll pay you a thousand bucks. Boom. Through a connection, not through advertising. And then again, that last project that I charged $2,500 for, that was somebody that he knew. So he referred me to her. Yeah. So as you do more work, as you work for more and more people, you start to build a network. People just start to trust you and like your work, and they'll mention you to other people who know uh, or who need what you can do. The other thing I want to mention is you should start building relationships with other freelancers who do what you do and also people who do things that are in related industries. Like if you're a graphic designer, you should know web designers. And also you should probably know the guy who runs your local coffee shop, you know? Yeah. There's going to be somebody in that coffee shop that he overhears saying, I really need a logo for my website to somebody else. And then he'll be like, hmm, I know this freelance graphic designer. So the more people you meet who are professionals, the better you're going to be. Oh, actually, speaking of coffee shops, there's also like business cards and your web presence and stuff. Actually, I left a stack of my business cards at the local coffee shop back in college. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take it, but I was offered a consistent contract position doing websites because they they just found my card laying around. That's awesome because I've done that and I never got any calls. Well, it's just, it's rolling the dice a whole bunch of times. I got lucky. And if you want to be, if you've got sites like Behance, if you're an artist or you've got LinkedIn, I have, I get too many emails and, and calls that I actually don't want anymore from LinkedIn just because I filled out my profile. And maybe if you put freelance in your headline, yeah, who knows who is searching LinkedIn for freelance something in my area. Yeah, You want to be visible everywhere because it's just rolling the dice a whole lot. And that brings up a really good point. Uh, I want to talk about like how to build your brand 
and you said like put freelance in your Behance profile. I think like if you have social media, make it known on that social media in some way that you do freelance work. Uh, so here's a great example. At one point, I really wanted somebody to do some art for me and I didn't end up doing it for my own reasons, but I started looking for designers and I had this problem at first. I was like, man, okay, I know Anna, but I'm looking for somebody who can do a different type of design and I don't know anybody who can do this. So I'm sitting there like, well, what do I do? How do I find somebody like this? Because it's hard to know if you can trust somebody just, you know, just Googling like best designer in my area or something. Yeah. So what I did is I went on, on Twitter and I just started searching terms like freelance illustrator or takes commissions, stuff like that. I just put those keywords in there and I would just look through people's tweets. I would look at their profiles. A lot of them had links to their own websites or Behance profiles or Dribble profiles or even Tumblr's. And I would go look at their work and I was like, oh, wow, that's really awesome. And I found this girl named Jenna and she does really, really cool illustrated work. And she's actually happens to be the girl that's doing a lot of the art for Hat in Time. Oh, nice. That video game. I just found her randomly. <laughs> and um, again, for my own reasons, I decided against doing the whole project that I had in my head. I think it was half-baked. But I really liked her work, and that's how I found her. And she's doing really well, so it's okay that I didn't hire her because she's got more work than she can handle. Yeah. Uh, but she had freelance illustrator in her Twitter bio and commissions open. And then she had a link to her site where you could see all her work. So... You don't have to be spamming on Twitter, hey, I do freelance web design, blah, 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 but have something in your bio. Yeah. And you, you should also have a website. You just need to increase your visibility. Mm -hmm. And again, it's all about building trust, showing that you can do what you say you can do through a portfolio or through maybe a blog where you're explaining your process. Um, and this is why I think in addition to making it known on your social profiles that you do this, you should also have a website. And on your website, have a portfolio, um, have a description of what you do and have testimonials from past clients. So whenever you finish a job for a client, if they were happy with the work, say, hey, I'm really happy working with you. It was awesome. I was wondering if you could provide maybe like a one paragraph testimonial that I can put on my website that'll help get more clients. Yeah. 99% of the time, they will be absolutely happy to do it. And then a blog is also a good thing to have because a blog lets you start positioning yourself as somebody who is knowledgeable in the industry. And the other thing is that Every piece of content you create on a blog is a potential contact point. You don't know who's going to find it. Maybe somebody finds your blog post about how to fix this weird bug in the September 2015 release of Adobe Premiere Pro that makes a weird green screen happen and you just have to rename your video files to MOV from MP4. Well, maybe somebody finds that randomly on Google and then they're like, hey, this person's cool. I'm going to look at their portfolio. And now I'm going to contact them because I like their portfolio. Boom. New client. That's totally contrived, made up example. But yeah, I was stuff, like, is it real? I feel it's almost real. It totally, it yeah, real. it sounds real. I just pulled a bunch of things from my own experience, but I've had people who have found like random stuff. Actually, I wrote, um, I wrote some guest posts for what was at the time called web toots plus. It was like web tutorials. I wrote a guide on how to implement Facebook comments on a blog. And I've had people reach out to me from that article saying, hey, I want you to redesign my website because they found my work from that. But it was me talking about Facebook comments. So again, content is a contact point. Yeah. Um, real quick, 
How do you set prices, Martin? Actually, you know what? I shouldn't ask you the question because the way you set your price one. is I make this per hour. Pay me what I would make during the semester. Yeah, I don't know if that's <laughs> a normal way to do that. Yeah, and so it worked really well for us because you're basically my best friend and I knew, okay, Martin has that job. He doesn't have time to work for me if he has that job. And if I were to pay him any less, then he would be losing money. So clearly, I'll just pay him what it would take yeah. <laughs> to make him quit. Yeah. Um but really, I think in general, you should price based on value. So what is the value you're going to be bringing to your client? Now, the more experience you get, the better able you're going to, um, you're, yeah, the better able you're going to be able to, to judge what that value is going to be. When you're starting out, maybe it's hard. Um, again, when you're starting it out, maybe you have to discount your prices a bit to get your foot in the door, to build that initial body of work, and to build trust in that initial network. The other thing you can do is look at your competition. Um, when I created Radiant Web Design, I decided that one of the things I was going to compete on was price because I was fresh out of high school, not that experienced, didn't have a network, and there were other companies in my area that did web design. So I thought, correctly, I can't charge what they're charging. I don't have a ton of sales experience. I'm not a good negotiator. I'm basically a blank slate. But I know that if I charge fewer dollars than them, then there are going to be clients out there who maybe can't afford the big company, but can afford me. So, and in fact, on the Radiant Web Design website, you can go look at it in the show notes. Um, I'm pretty sure the homepage says like, our value is creating eye-catching web designs at a great price. And I think like we, we specifically say it costs less than it's gonna cost at a bigger, uh, bigger firm. Yeah. So I remember I went to the websites of other firms in my area, and some of them actually had pricing packages right on the website. And I was like, wow, okay, so this company charges $3,000 for a 10-page website. This was back when number of pages was a good metric for the complexity of a website. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Which, I, you know what, honestly, it's it can be still, depending on the type of client and the type of job. But anyway, I was like, all right, they're charging three k for 10 pages. I will charge like 400 bucks. Whole new segment of clients. You yeah. know? Maybe there's like a cupcake shop up the road that couldn't dream of dropping three k on a website. But 400 bucks. Well, that's not too bad. I could do that. Um, and then also, like, again, with negotiating, once you say your price, they're going to either accept it or they're going to say, I can't do that price, but maybe you could take X. They're not going to be like, screw you. Your price is too high. And I spit on your family's graves. Well, maybe. Well, maybe they are. If they're in a bad mood. But then they're, they're probably not a good client anyway. Yeah, that would mean they're a dick and you should just not take them in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> but no, they're going to say, I could do this. And then from there, there's a negotiation. Now, if you're just starting out, maybe you should just take what they say. Uh, if you have a little bit more experience, maybe you can communicate and come back with a middle price. There's some haggling to be done there. So there's a lot of stuff we could link to on pricing. And if you have anxiety about it, just realize this is a huge pain point and cause of anxiety for basically every freelancer. Yeah. It's just, it is, it's very tough to actually state a price. So as you get more experience, you'll become more comfortable with your pricing, but you got to get there through hard work. A few little random tidbits before we end this. Uh, number one, get a contract. Oh, and yeah. This is because like you want an ironclad, legally binding statement of the work that's going to be done. 
Now, this is where, this is actually one of the reasons that I had this idea that I didn't want to be a freelancer going forward in the future. Um, and I was scared of entrepreneurship because I was so intimidated by all the legal and the financial stuff. I was like, I don't know how to do accounting and I don't know how to do a contract and going to a lawyer is going to cost a zillion dollars, blah, blah, blah. Um, now I have experience now going to a lawyer is not a zillion dollars, but depending on your funds right now, you might not have the money for it. I mean, a lawyer might charge you 300 bucks to make a contract. Maybe you don't have that right now. So what I did is I found a book that was all about how to build a web design business. And in the back of the book, there was a sample contract. And I sat at my computer and I typed up that sample contract in Microsoft <laughs> Word and I made a few changes just on things that I thought were better and I used that as my contract. And maybe it didn't have literally every single thing that a contract should have, but it had the basics. And uh, I think like one of the big things that you need to hammer out in your contract and make sure that your client is aware of and signs is the scope of the work. Because say, you know, you say, okay, I'll build you a 10 page website. And they're like, cool, I'll pay you $500. But then they want 800 revisions to the homepage. And they're constantly calling you like at midnight. Hey, can you change the picture uh, of the homepage? We actually want to have my, my dog as the header. There's <laughs> actually, there's that an- That also sounds real. It does. Well, I think there's an oatmeal comic that's like, the web design clients from hell or something like that. Actually, there's a blog called clients from hell and you can read all sorts of horror stories. Uh, so have a contract that defines the scope of the work. I will do 10 pages and the customer will provide the images. The customer will provide the copy. They're not going to have me typing up ad copy for their business. I'm a designer. And if they want revisions, here's how many revisions I will do before I start charging for, for revisions. So I would recommend maybe like, three or four revisions at most for a page. And then after that, like it's $75 an hour or something like that. So that way you're making it clear. You can't just be flip-flopping and changing your mind all the time and having me do things for free. Here's a scope. And if you want anything beyond that scope, there's going to be an extra charge. Um, now you can just go find a sample contract online and use that. But there's also an app that I know, I think your friend Will actually showed it to me. It's called what Shake. App? Oh uh, yeah, shake yeah. by Legal Shield. Uh, I think it's for the iPhone. I know I'm not 100% sure if it's for the Android platform. If it is, it'll be in the show notes. If not, maybe there's an alternative. But Shake, if it basically gives you boilerplate contracts that you can sort of enter your details into, and then your client can literally sign it on your phone, and it creates a simple contract that is better than nothing. Yeah, because a, a contract is not a legal requirement. But if you don't have a contract, there's really no binding document that defines what was supposed to happen. So, yeah. Well, you don't want somebody to be like, I, I wait. I thought we, I thought we agreed on two hundred. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If it's just, if it's just in, and, uh, and it's your it's not word in writing, it's like a CEO, and you're just like a little high school or something. What are you gonna do? Yeah. You have and, no power there. Oh, that also reminds me. I would also recommend getting half up front for a lot of different kind of jobs. Oh yeah. Um, like. Don't, don't just do all the work and give it to them and then have them pay you afterwards. When I did web design, even with that first client, it was 50% upfront and then 50% on delivery of the final files. It's just a good way to kind of cover your butt because every freelancer will tell you they have horror stories about clients who don't pay. And, you know, even if you don't give them the work, you've still put all that time in there. Yeah. 
So do what you can to protect yourself from the inevitable clients from hell. And then the other thing is uh, track your business expenses. If you spend money for anything that's required for your business, so in my case, if I spent money on Photoshop or if I spent money on stock images for a client, or if I even if I spent money on a book that I needed to teach myself a certain programming language or skill, that is deductible from my profits. So I think uh, FreshBooks is sponsoring this episode. They're a great software for entering in all those expenses and everything. Um, or we could just do it the old school way and do it in Excel, but I like using software. But whatever you do, make sure you keep a record of what you spend on your business, keep the receipts, and then you can subtract that from whatever you make because you gotta pay taxes on what you make, just like you do as an employee. But when you're a freelancer, it hurts more because you're the one paying it instead of a boss just withholding it from your paycheck. Yeah. So yeah, make sure it feels worse. It does feel worse, even Even though it's technically better because it still feels worse just because when it's withheld, you don't have that money ever. Yeah. There's no loss aversion. You don't have to give suddenly thousands away and then cry. Yep. Exactly. So I think that's probably a good overview to start with. Again, we mentioned a few other episodes of the podcast that are useful. Oh, Martin, um, also put the episode with Grant Baldwin in the show notes. Because that episode is, it's about how to become a professional speaker, but Grant actually talks about his experiences going and finding speaking clients, which is very different from the way that I've found speaking clients, which is get well-known and have them come to me, which is not the way that most speakers are going to be able to do it. So, hey, it's another freelance opportunity, to be honest. So we'll have all those uh, other episodes in the show notes. We'll also have our article, The Ultimate Guide to Freelancing in College, in the show notes. And we'll have a link to that video on how to travel and work at the same time because, hey, if you're freelance, you can travel, which is pretty cool. So check those out, cigpodcast.com slash 164. And you can also find our favorite resources, books we recommend, and our dorm guide for anybody going to college soon or trying to figure out what they need for their apartment or dorm over at collegeinbogeek.com slash resources. So that is all we've got for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoy this show, one good way to support it is to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review that bumps us up the rankings, helps other people find the show, and lets us know what you think. So thank you so much if you do that. And again, thanks for listening. We'll see you in next week's episode and stay cute. Thanks again to FreshBooks for supporting our show. If this episode has inspired you to dip your toes into the world of freelancing, or you're just looking to make your current freelance work a little easier, check out their unrestricted 30-day trial at freshbooks.com CIG. And make sure to write College Info Geek in the How Did You Hear About Us section.